Good evening. It's good to see you here this evening. Appreciate your presence. I hope that uh, you'll be getting out your Bibles and turning with me to the book of 1 Peter so that we can study together this evening. Uh, One of the things I've been trying to do and work on my abilities at is uh, summarizing books of the Bible or letters of the Bible in order to get the main message out of that book. And that's what we're going to do tonight with the letter of 1 Peter. So I hope that you'll uh, enjoy this study with me. It's been a pleasure to to learn about this book and understand what it's all about. And uh, I hope that you're able to get excited about this like I am because it's a really neat message. Uh, to, to understand this book, let's start at the end. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5 and read with me verse 12. He says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So typically, in order to understand what someone's going to write about, you would go to the first of the book and you would hopefully see what it's going to be about. But in this case, Peter reveals it at the very end. He tells us what this book's going to be about. And he tells us that this is the true grace of God. So what we're going to be studying as we read through the and understand parts of 1 Peter, what it's all about really, is what does he mean when he says... This is the true grace of God. What is the true grace of God? Uh, Don't we feel like we already know what the grace of God is really about? I mean, God sent Jesus. He died. We're forgiven of our sins. And we're able to... uh, Live, have, have eternal life through Him. That's the grace of God. Is it any more complicated than that? Well, notice how Peter words this. He says, this is the true grace of God. So, there may be those out there who have an idea of God's grace, but what Peter tells us in this letter, he says, is the true grace. This is the true grace of God that He's revealed here. And as we open up the the book of 1 Peter and we start reading through it, you know, if we didn't read that at the end, we would have read all the way through this letter and then we would have read that and said, wait a second, this is the true grace of God. He's been talking about the grace of God? I don't understand how the two make sense together. The majority of the book is not about forgiveness of sins. Uh, We see in the beginning of the book, he talks about being born again uh, according to His great mercy to a living hope. Uh, That's right there in verse 3. So he does talk about born again and that idea of being forgiven of our sins is mentioned. In fact, throughout the book, it's mentioned a little bit here and there. But it's not really the focus of this letter. The forgiveness of our sins is not the true grace of God. It's just a part of that true grace of God. Even that text that we talked about, verse 3, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, even that isn't really focused on the forgiveness of past sins. It's talking about a living hope we have. In verse 13 it says, uh, set your hope fully on the grace of 
that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So even there, he's not talking about forgiveness of past sins. He's talking about our future forgiveness, our grace to come on the judgment day. But the rest of this letter doesn't focus in on our forgiveness of sins. Instead, he tells us that the true grace of God is God's call for us to be three things. Brent's going through the called series, right? He's talking about how we've been called to suffer, we've been called to eternity, we've been called to do all these things, we've been called to receive all these things. Peter tells us the true grace of God is God calling us to be His obedient children, His holy priests, and His diplomatic exiles. This is the true grace of God. That God has called us to be these three things. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that kind of hard for us to grasp? The grace of God is for us to be His obedient children, His holy priests, and His diplomatic exiles. What does that mean? Well, let's, let's think about this, okay? The, next, uh, the first section that we find is in chapter 1, verse 14, and it goes down through chapter 2, verse 3. This is the section where he talks about the first call. That we are called to be God's obedient children. Let's read verses 14 through 19. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exiles, knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In this text, Peter clearly calls us God's obedient children. He says, be God's obedient children. He even says, you call on Him as Father. He is your Father and you are His children. And he he goes on to say that you need to be holy as God is holy. So like parent, like child. God has called us to be His children. Now, this is not a far-fetched thing. We've heard this idea before, right? We have been called. We are God's children. He loves us. He cares for us. He is our Heavenly Father. And we can kind of see how this would be an idea of grace that He has bestowed upon us. That we can be God's children. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? He is the Creator. He is the ruler over everything. We get to be His children. We get to to take part in all the benefits of being a child of God. But why does Peter say this is the true grace of God? Well, notice what he is saying here. He tells us, as you call on Him as Father, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So that doesn't sound very graceful, does it? (laughs) Be afraid. He calls us to be obedient children. 
He doesn't call us to be whatever kind of children we want to be. He calls us specifically to be obedient and to conduct ourselves with fear. Why is this the grace of God? Why is this the true grace of God? It's very hard for us to to see that as we read through this and understand this. Well, notice verse 18 again. He says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, but with the blood of Christ. Why do we fear God? Because at one time we were rebellious. At one time, we rebelled against God. We were disobedient. We did not fear God. But God loved us anyway. And God gave His Son that we could be His children again. And with all that gift that He gave in giving His Son to pay the ransom price to make us His children again, He calls us to be His children again. It is the grace of God that we can be His children. We might think about that as as no big deal, as, oh yeah, I get to be a child of God. But Peter says this is a big deal. God has given us an opportunity to be holy and obedient like God is holy. It was just mentioned in the, the Lord's Supper discussion about our sin. The idea of being holy and being sinless, that's a daunting thing to us, isn't it? It's a hard idea that we could ever be obedient, that we could ever be holy like God wants us to be. And yet Peter says, this is the true grace of God that He has called you to be this way. Instead of looking at this as something that is too hard for us, as something that we have to do because God has saved us, Peter is telling us this is God's grace toward us, that we get the opportunity to grow up spiritually to be more like our Heavenly Father. We get to become holy like God is holy. And that happens as he says in chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 3, that we, we take in the Word like newborn infants. We are God's children. He has given us the nourishment we need in the Word to grow up to be like Him. As children grow up to be like their parents. When we think of children. Think of my own children. Don't we desire and expect them to be obedient? I mean, we work hard to provide for our children, to give them the food that they eat, and then we see them say, No, (laughs) I don't want it. And then, okay, so we take it away, and then they come up to a snack, you know. Joseph's been doing that. Forever, seems like. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to put your plate down in front of you and you can eat that, okay? (laughs) We're not going to play that game. We want our children to be obedient. We want them to listen to us. We feel like we've given them enough to motivate them to obey the things that we're telling them. We're providing for their needs. We're blessing them with blessings. They ought to see that as an opportunity to give back to us. But don't they struggle to see that? I think we as children of God can struggle to see 
that we really need to make a change in our life to be like God. And this is an opportunity that He gives us to do that whenever He gives us the Word that shows us how we need to be and and how He is that we can become more like Him. This is the true grace of God that we are given the opportunity to be like God. We need to think of it that way. Well, the second call that He gives us is a call to serve as His holy priesthood. As you keep reading and you look at chapter 2, you notice verse 4 all the way down to verse 10. It's kind of a smaller section, but it's all about the priesthood. We have been called to be God's priests. He says in verses 4 and 5, "...as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood." to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We have been called. Notice how he transitions from we have been called to be parts, uh, members of the spiritual house of God, members of God's family, to we have been called to be God's holy priests, offering spiritual sacrifices to Him. Each of us is a member of God's priesthood who have put on Christ. Verse 9 it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. God has given us an opportunity to be royal priests, a holy priesthood. Well, what is that about? What what does it mean to be a priest? You know, we just studied a little bit on Wednesday night in the Old Testament talking about priests and how, you know, before the Levites, there wasn't a whole lot of priests that are mentioned. But then the Levites come on the scene, and that's not really a huge group of people. It's actually only a small part of Israel that's able to become priests. But these priests serve God and they serve the people. They serve as an intermediary between God and the people, providing the things that the people need to have a relationship with God and providing the things to God that the people want to provide. And not only that, they also teach the people the Word of God. They offer up sacrifices That's part of their daily lives as they live on this earth. So Peter says we have been called into our own kind of priesthood. And this is the true grace of God. We get to offer up spiritual sacrifices. You think about one of the the big things that priests get to do. They get to enter into the holy places. They get to enter into the presence of God. They get to experience God. They get to step into the the realm of God. Peter's talking about us that we get to do the same kinds of things. Notice again at the end of verse 9. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. As God calls us to be priests, 
He caused us from a place of darkness, a place where we don't know God, where we are without God. And He caused us into His very presence, into His marvelous light, that we can experience God, that we can experience and understand who He is, what He is like, and what He's done for us. And then we can take all the excellencies that we experience and we can share it with those around us. This is the grace of God. This is what God has given us the opportunity to do, to proclaim His excellencies. Do we see ourselves this way? Do we see ourselves as God's priests? Every day of our lives. Uh, the, the friend of mine who, who just recently passed away about a month ago, Delilah is her name. Uh, she drowned, but anyway. This was her. This is who she was. This is who you could tell she saw herself as. Every morning she would wake up, she would open up her Bible, she would learn about who God is. And then whenever you saw her, you could see the radiance inside of her. You could tell that inside of her was a love and a passion for the God that she served. And she wanted everybody to know how excellent He is. She would be typing up text messages every day to many people, sharing a Bible verse, a word of encouragement to them, letting them know about the God they serve. On the day that she passed away, multiple people were showing the text message they had just received from her. Because that's who she was. She didn't see being a, a priest of God as something that she kind of does when she gets the opportunity. She saw that as a great blessing, a great opportunity. She saw that as the true grace of God toward her. And she made the most of the opportunity that He gave her. To serve Him. Are we proclaiming the excellencies of the God we serve as we learn about Him, as we come to know Him? This is a calling that God's given us. The third calling, which is the makes up the largest section of the book, all the way from chapter 2, verse 11, extending to chapter 4, verse 19, is a calling to suffer as God's diplomatic exiles. We're going to think about what that means as we, we, we consider this. Notice, this is also what he calls us at the very first of the letter, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. This seems to be the primary point that he's working up to. We are God's children who are also God's priests, who are in a foreign land, who are exiles, who are living as exiles. And he wants us to live as exiles in a certain way. And by doing that, this is the grace of God. So, what does it mean to be an exile or a sojourner? Well, we Brent kind of talked about it this morning. This world is not our home. As we're here on this earth, we don't consider the things that are of this earth to be really of, of great significance to us because we're living for a home that is to come. As we live here we realize we're citizens somewhere else. We're not citizens here. 
That's the way sojourners are. That's the way exiles are. They're longing to be somewhere else while living where they are. Read with me verses 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here Peter calls us exiles. He says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And he tells us something to do. He tells us that as exiles we need to abstain from the passions of our flesh. What are the, what are the passions of our flesh? Well, whenever we read that, we might typically think, well, obviously it's the lustful passions and, and the, the ignorant passions of our past that we're, we put away. But Peter doesn't talk about them that way. As you keep reading, and notice verse 12, he even starts with it, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. As you keep reading through this text, all the way from verse 11, all the way down to verse 19 of chapter 4, what Peter mentions over and over again is not the passions of lust or anything like that, but the passions of our pride. He is asking Christians to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And then he goes on and on about doing what is honorable, doing what is good among everybody that's around us. He even mentions submitting to them. Over and over again he says submit to human institutions, to governments, to emperors. Submit to your masters. As slaves, submit to your husband. Live in an under, with an understanding way towards your wife. And whoever it is who is around you, live in a way that is honorable and that is good toward them. Showing love toward them and, and considering what they think is right. To be what is right as long as you're still keeping God's commands and God's will. He is calling us to abstain from the passions of our pride, which we tend to exalt ourselves over those around us. Instead of doing what they see as honorable, we want to do what we want to do because we know it's not a big deal. Instead of seeing it that way, He encourages us to have a humble mind toward those who are around us. As we're living here on this earth, we are called to even suffer with those who are unjust toward us, with those who are mean-spirited toward us, who abuse us. Uh, If we have unbelieving spouses and they're, they're awful toward us, He encourages us to be honorable toward them, to be good toward them. We might think, okay, well, I can be honorable toward some non Christians, but Peter says, be honorable toward everybody. We might think, well, okay, I can do some of the things that they want to do. I can submit to some of the things that they ask me to do. But Peter says, no, do everything that they ask you to do. As long as it's in keeping with the Word of God, do it for them. Well, how is that the true grace of God? That sounds like a lot of suffering. God is giving us suffering. God is giving us a very difficult life on this earth. If we're going to submit to everybody else's will and not get our own way, well, that's not any fun at all. 
But remember, he is exhorting and he is declaring the true grace of God. This is the grace of God toward us. That we have the opportunity to act this way toward those who are around us as we live on this earth as exiles. Notice again the end of verse 12. He says, So that when they speak against you, you're doing honorable things, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the grace of God because here we have an opportunity to show everybody what God is really like. Here we have an opportunity to bring others to God. As they see the good deeds that we're doing, even though they speak against us, they are brought to shame and they're forced to realize that God's ways are better than man's ways. And they may turn their hearts to God. It even says in this text that wives can win their own husbands without a word. Just purely by the actions that they take. And this is what I mean by we are called to suffer as diplomatic exiles. How can we be diplomatic exiles? Think about this for a minute. Diplomats are are sent to another nation in order to create some kind of peace between the nation they're going to and the nation they're from. And this is what we're called to do. Now, are they going to have to endure some struggles and some sufferings by being away from home? Yeah. This is not going to be like home as they're living in this foreign place. But they're doing it because they want peace between those who are there and the homeland. We want peace with those who are around us and God. And in order to create that peace, we have to be willing to to let ourselves suffer, to let ourselves be run through the mill. But whenever that happens, people see that, and he tells us that as they see that, they turn to God and they glorify Him. We're given an opportunity to bring people, to glorify God. This is a grace that God has given to us. Well, all of this, being called to be obedient children, being called to be God's priests, being called to be diplomatic exiles, ultimately comes together with the idea that we are called to be like Jesus. This is the true grace of God. That God has called us to be like Jesus. We get to be obedient children like Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Jesus is pure. Jesus is holy. Jesus is sinless. We get the opportunity to be more like Jesus because of what God has given us. We get the opportunity to proclaim God's excellencies just like Jesus has done. He has shown the world how excellent God's mercy, compassion, love, how wonderful His creation is and His plan and His promises. We get to show that to people. And we get to suffer to bring others to God, just like Jesus has suffered to bring us to God. This is our privilege. This is the grace that God has given us. It's not just He's forgiven us of our sins. It's amazing that He's done that. We needed it. Without Him, we could could not do it. 
But also, without Jesus, without God's grace toward us, we couldn't be children of God. We couldn't be priests, and we could not glorify Him because we would not have a home in heaven. In chapter 2, verse 21, he says, We are called to walk and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. That's the blessing of God toward us. How can we do that? You look at this list. Being obedient children, being priests of God, being exiles who are suffering for God, That sounds like a really hard life. (laughs) It doesn't sound like a lot of grace, but this is God's grace toward us that we have the opportunity to become just like Jesus, like His Son that lived on the earth and brought people to God. Notice chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. If we put on the mind of Christ, we even though we suffer in this life, we are given the opportunity to be more like God. And also notice how we can do this. In verse 19, he says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. As, as the mind of Jesus has been revealed to us in the Word of God, and, and the life of Jesus has been shown to us how He was able to live the way that He lived as obedient child, as a priest, as an exile. We learn that He entrusts His soul to God because He knows God is faithful. God is a faithful Creator. And He's worth trusting while doing good on this earth. This is the true grace of God toward us. Peter tells us to stand firm in it. Hopefully now we understand the message of this book. As God has called all of us to accept not just the grace of forgiveness of sins, but the grace of being His children, His priests, and being exiles who bring people to God and proclaim His excellencies. If you haven't began your walk, if you haven't started to follow after the footsteps of Jesus, we want to encourage you to do that even if you've already put on Christ in baptism and you didn't realize, this is what I'm called to do. This is who I'm called to be. This is my purpose in life. We want to encourage you to make that decision because this is your opportunity. Our lives are short, but we have time here on this earth to spend glorifying God and doing good that others might glorify Him as well. Let us make use of that opportunity. Let us put on Christ and walk in a way that glorifies Him. If you need to begin that walk, please come forward as we stand and sing.